Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Taylor Goldsmith is the frontman of the band Dawes and has been for a long time. He's a great songwriter. He's a great frontman. He constantly challenges himself and reinvents himself, discusses that at great length in this conversation, and it's great. I'm so glad I got to have him on the program. He's someone that I really admire. His new record, their new record, is fantastic and weird, which is what you want, which is what I want out of music. As we um, discussed during the course of this interview, don't give me the same old, same old every time. Mix it up. Show me that you're trying. Show me that you're expanding your horizons. That's certainly what Taylor's doing. I'm really grateful that I got to have him on board for Wheels Off. I've been looking forward to having him for a long time. So please welcome to the program, Taylor Goldsmith, the band Dawes. Welcome to Wheels Off, Taylor Goldsmith. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good. I'm real good. Good to see you. Um, f- for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? Home in Pasadena, Los, uh, like Los Angeles, California. Nice. I love it. I know Pasadena. My bass player, Murray, lives out there. Okay, cool. That's um, pretty great. It's lovely. It's like a, yeah. a little, pretty little enclave just outside of the madness. Yeah. It's, yeah feel, people come here and they're like, I don't feel like I'm in LA. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the trick. I love LA, but I like how this feels like its own thing. It's nice. Um, it's funny, actually, now that you mention it, I feel like there's a Pasadena contingent. I know Mark, uh, I don't think Mark Stepro lives there, but he was he was saying, I went and saw Phoebe Bridgers, my daughter's favorite band. I saw Phoebe, mm-hmm. my artist. And uh, he's like, yeah, her band is so great. It's that Pasadena crew. Yeah, they're all Pasadena. Um, and she's she she, I think, coined the term um, Pasadangerous, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're, my, my wife and I are actually, uh, have become pretty good friends with, with her mom actually. Ah. Yeah. She was like our real estate agent on a deal. And like, we've just like, we're, we're like, we text all the time. It's great. She's it's the coolest. such a small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, congrats on the new record, by the way, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. It is. It's a great thing. I mean, <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I'm always impressed when artists kind of trump themselves or outdo themselves, do something new, take a right, right or left turn. And it feels right. like that's what you did. Is, is that what it feels like for you? Yeah. I mean, like it was the first time, I don't know, like, especially kind of the music that, that, that we make music, like I'm sure you kind of feel the same where like a bunch of open G's and E minors and stuff like you kind of, for the most of the time, I, when I go in with a song, I feel like I know how to do this. Yeah. And this was the first record that we've made as a band where I was, I was going in kind of like spooked and like feeling like, I don't know if I know how to do this. I don't know if I have this in me or not. 
I know what it's supposed to sound like, but I don't know if I can do it with my hands. Yeah. Um, and, and when we did, and it was scary, but that was like so thrilling. Cause it was like, it's like, okay, let's do take two of this 10 minute song and hope for the best. Um, it shows a lot of, a lot of just like not knowing exactly how stuff was uh, landing. Cause it's like, you know, you do a 10 minute take and it's like, I know the last minute was good. I don't know if the first one was like, cause I, I it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> were all those songs originally conceived as that long of a thing or were there songs where you found that songs wanted to marry to each other and you meld songs together or were, were they all written as these opuses? Um, they were for the most part, I mean, I it, like a song like everything is permanent was definitely like a three and a half minute contained thing. And I wanted to go to outer space with like the middle section. And um, I didn't know if that was going to make the song four minutes or what ended up being almost nine, but it would definitely like, I guess like in the past, I always felt, and I feel like a lot of songwriters could relate to this. I always felt like, how do I keep cutting away how do I get less and less so that I'm giving something like everything is very economical. How do I, how, how am I constantly a minimalist? And then I thought like, I, I get why that thinking is important. I'm, I'm going to probably subscribe to it uh, for a lot other, a lot more songs that I write in the future, but for some reason, for better or for worse, in this case, like that formula was sort of flipped like like a song like Everything is Permanent, where I wanted to have like a big instrumental break that kind of switched in between major and minor and got kind of trippy. I also like once we did that, I was still like, what else can this handle? What else can this like sustain until it like until the bottom falls out? And so like then I wrote the outro, which this ly- lyric of like, did you really need to cry or be seen crying? And like to just kind of and then to like it's almost like you're putting weight on an elevator just to see like what's like the max amount um it can handle before it stops taking you up to a higher floor um so i was doing that a lot with these like can it handle another verse can it handle another section um and uh, and sometimes i yeah the line was crossed i'm like okay now it's just confusing now it's just like this song is too much and but at least for me it was like where where it landed was a place where like i think that this is working um yeah, I've I've often thought of Dylan songs like that. Like obviously these songs don't sound anything like Bob Dylan, but but when I listen to Desolation Row or Ten Verses or yeah. yeah, Ten Verses or Sad Eyed Lady, like sometimes like I love that the people use the word structure. It helps a lot with the point I'm making because like um I do feel like the architecture of those songs can sustain the ten verses. I don't know if that's true about um uh, I, what, what's a really good three minute Bob Dylan song? It's hard to think of right now, but like, like it's sometimes like the structure won't work. And like with Desolation Row, it's almost like you hear two verses in, and like I wondered if there was a part of him that can that thought like, oh, it can handle more. And then he just kept going. I, I, don't, I have no idea, but it's fascinating to me. And it was, it's funny that you brought that up because I wondered this with listening to these new songs of yours is that in some cases it was almost as if the medium was the message, right? Like, like you were, you were taking people on a journey, like that's part of the thing is like, you're going to be with me for a while. I know with Desolation Row, I've because uh, I really love that song in particular. And I yeah. feel like so much of that song is him spending nine verses sort of convincing you that he's just spouting gibberish and then at the and then that last 
verse where he says, um, all these people that you mentioned, I know them. They are like, he makes it this like tiny letter that he's writing to someone who broke his heart. And it's, and it suddenly becomes like, oh, now I know what you're doing for the last six minutes. Yeah. 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 But that's sort of how it feels like for me. Like I really loved, I really loved when you landed on the uh, cry or be seen crying because it it felt earned, I guess. Right. That's cool. That's really cool to hear. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, it's like, I, I, um, I also think that we don't give, I think we're all caught in myself included caught in this loop of the business side of things where everyone has convinced each other that no one has an attention span. And like, while I think that that's, like while I get why that makes sense for radio, I don't think that makes any sense for like people's um, brains. Like, like I think I, like you, you still play someone, John Coltrane. It's not like they don't get it. They like it. Like he's still, <laughs> he still matters. He's not, he's not confound. I mean, he's, conf- he's, he's very confounding, but he's not, he's not without an audience completely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everyone can still see what's going on uh, or relatively to whatever that example is like, um, and I think that like people deserve more credit for having attention spans that can handle it as long as like we we give them that opportunity. Like, you know, listening to like seven Eminem songs or or even the War on Drugs breakout album. The first song was nine minutes and that album took the like summer by storm or whatever that year. Um, and and so I think that it's like for this, it was like I'm going to stop caring about what everyone keeps saying about like shorter, tighter, faster. Um, I get why that makes a lot of sense in a certain medium, but we've never been playing that sport. We've never been invited to that party and that's cool. So like why play by their rules? Yeah, it's funny. I, I love that you are acknowledging the way the rules have been thrown out the window in so much of music and um, right. Cause we both did some time with uh radio and radio yeah. people and, and all of the, and, but also I feel like probably like, like me, you probably grew up loving like the two and a half minute perfect pop song, the Ramones or the, right. obviously the Beatles or whatever. And there, that is its own beautiful thing, right? Like, it's, Oh yeah. It's Jenga. Like you're taking out, how many can I take out before it collapses yeah. rather than the elevator you're putting 11 elephants into. Yeah. And it's in, in, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I love uh, the, the, the great thing about those two bands though is that like they have the like because I always thought like the word hook, the implication of that word means you're pulling them towards something else. Yeah. You, like and and what what you're pulling them towards is like actually what the song is. Like when when John and Paul have a really catchy bit, once you're once you're hooked, you and you're in on the that part, then all of a sudden you hear this crazy beautiful song that that is that is unearthing some like pretty fresh idea. And now like the hooks are like the meat them like the hook is the whole thing now it's like if and i don't want to sound like a grumpy old like cynic about about like about like you know the rules of pop music i, I don't mean to do that but i i just find that like sometimes like the hook serves that purpose of bringing you in on something and sometimes the hook is tricking you into thinking something else is there and that's where i got freaked out by that thinking of like um well what's the course what's the hook what's the main line and it's like fuck i don't want to i don't want to turn into that not that our, our songs were ever even close to like sounding catchy <laughs> but but uh but <laughs> but you know what i mean just that 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 thinking is is infectious and i think it's very advantageous but only if you keep it in context for me 
Um, so I was excited about this new record and I've kind of abandoned my normal format a little bit, but I'm going to go back to it and ask, um, even though right now, obviously you're promoting the new record, it's probably been in the can for a while. Mm-hmm. I wonder what, uh, what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up? That's cool to hear. Um, right now I've been writing, um, it's funny, like after making this record, after listening to so much jazz and, and Herbie Hancock and Frank Zappa and just, I was, I think that was just taking over for me during the pandemic, a lot of black Sabbath, um, a lot of Pink Floyd, Dire Straits. And, and I think, uh, I still love that. I still put that stuff on, but I also, as, as all of us do, you start drifting into other things and I start discovering other things or else you go crazy. Um, and I started falling in love with, um, Re, like it's it, it it's like the other side of what we're talking about like that those two and a half minute type perfect country songs yeah. um like old buck owens i never listened to buck owens i was totally unaware i mean i knew his name but i didn't know i didn't even know the hits i didn't even know um together again um and so now i'm like i can't stop listening to that and i'm and i'm i'm having fun trying to write stuff that's slightly in that lane um it's fun it, it, in regards to how that plays for dogs i don't know i mean sometimes i feel like we're always like making a record and then turning our like just totally turning a 180 on it um but it's i never want that to feel antagonistic i always wanted to i hope i hope it always comes across like we actually love all the records that we're making and and one thing is a reaction to the other in but out of love not out of like oh that's not me like it's all me um so it's i don't but i, I yeah who knows i we might make a country record i'm this might move past pretty quick but that is a i do think that question is a fascinating one and I'm, I'm curious how you feel about this because i'll be doing interviews sometimes and people will be like what what else do you do do you write do you write books do you write stories do you do you make coffee cups like what do you do and i to me i'm i'm always like what like i don't do anything else i don't have time i don't have i don't have the the brain, like I've, I've devoted so much of my, my like brain power to like figuring out how to write a song. And, and, um, I don't, I wish I knew how to fix cars or make ceramics or, or, or anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. Are you like that? No, I all, that's <laughs> no, I, I have always dreamt of being a, a writer. Like was Same. there ever, was there ever, so, okay. There was a dream for you. The, that wasn't the, just music. Yeah. The dream is there, but it's, it is like, pure magic to me like i love movies i love books and when i read them or watch them i'm like that's magic and i don't know how they did that when i hear a song i'm able to like deconstruct in a way that's still enjoyable it doesn't take the magic away but i'm able to be like okay oh cool that's i like what they did and that's how they got to the title and oh, okay i get what's going on and i become and i become a like the craft brain shows up a little bit and i welcome it and part of me wishes that i had the craft brain when i was reading because i just don't I'm just like a total sucker and I love it. And so like, I, I wish I, I, so I've never been able to even just sit down and try. Have you, do you, do you write other stuff? I've, uh, my dream is a novel and I've, I've started a number of them and I've got some cool. short stories. Uh, I've got a couple of kids books. My second kid's book is coming out and that's fun. Cause oh, that's, cool. that's basically like songwriting without the music. Cause it's just, you know, my people have names and my name is James. I'm a regular 10 year old kid. I always right. thought I was nice, but I'm not, I feel bad about this thing that I did. It's all meter and rhymes. Right. right. Cool. 
There was years ago I did Robin Hitchcock was somebody I really idolized and then got to be friends with. And 20 years ago, he was singing on a record I made. And at the time he was working on a mystery novel, which his father had written wow. a number of mystery novels. And, um, and I love mystery novels. That was my dream. When I dropped out of college, I was like, I'm going to write mystery novels. <laughs> um, so I, so I was really fascinated and I kept harassing him about it. And finally he goes, you know, Red, one thing about writing a novel is you'll never write more songs. And it's that thing. It's like, wow. you're, you're trying to do this thing that you don't know how to do. And your yeah. brain, your brain is like, you know how to write songs. Why don't you just freaking write songs, bro? And then you just go write more songs. Yeah, totally. And I um, I could see that happening because if I came across any good line that just fell out of me or something, I'm just, I, I would imagine I would just lift it and, um, and, <laughs> exactly. and just put, put it in a song instead. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what I do with everything else. Like any article or any, any book that where I come across like, Oh, those, that's a good sentence. I'll just take it from my own and just invert it in some way. Um, that's fascinating. When yeah, did, I don't, I, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. No, I just, I just was going to reiterate that. I just, I wish I, I knew the first step into that world. And, and um, I don't know if it's fear or I don't know. It's, it's also just like, I've never even had the idea. Like I've never, I've like, when, when an idea comes to me, it's as a song, like, Oh, this is the title. This is how, this is the, what, what, how the title refers to the concept. This is how I get there. And then I start writing the lyric. Um, but then, but I've never had that thing of like, Oh, that's a book. It's about this dude that lives in this town. And this is this love interest. Or I, I've never had anything like that enter into my bed. And I don't um, know how to change it. Well, you know, it's, it's always that thing. People yell at you, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know that that's great. Like I'm trying to yeah. think of people who've been good at multiple uh, disciplines. I think of Dave Nick Hill, Nick Cave. Yeah. Nick uh, Cave. Uh, Dave Hill's a comedian and a musician and uh, he paints like it's all these different things oh, that, wow. da that Dave does. Uh, was it always songs for you? Like, did you know really early? Was there an epiphany moment when you were a kid? Our dad is a singer musician. He toured until I was like two. So I was never, I was never a part of that part of his journey. Um, and touring, I think is relative. I mean, he toured, but it was, but uh, I think it's big touring when he was, when it was, when he was younger. Um, and so I grew up with all these stories and just like, I would meet all of his musician friends and, and, um, and I, I just, there was never that moment of like, Oh, am I a rocket scientist or am I a songwriter? Like it was just like when people asked, like, what do you, what what does this four-year-old do? I'd be like, I sing songs. Like it just was always known, not in like some woo-woo way. It was I think it was just I would sing with my dad. And so I just knew that's what I did. Like, and when it came time to start, yeah, it just it just was never a decision made. It was, it was just, it was like that's that's what this family is. That's what we do here. Is, the, is that weird for you? Does it feel like something that was thrust upon you? Do you ever wonder if there's another avenue you could have gone down that would have been more rewarding or does it all just feels right? Um, it, it feels right in so many ways. Like I, I, I find all the joy from writing. I feel so much joy from performing. I don't necessarily line up. I mean, I think this is changing rapidly because of my kid. Um, but I don't really line up with the um, tour life as much as I 
as much as like our crew does or as much as some of our guys do like like our piano player lee i i i don't think he'd mind me saying but he's so good at just kind of doing it all like he's also in chris stapleton's band right now and we just like we just played a show with phil lesh where we were it was phil and friends but it was basically dawes without our bassist and um and then his son graham but uh but Lee, our piano player, had flown. He had played Denver the night before, and then we were in Asbury Park, and then he was going to fly back to Chris, and then he was going to fly back to Dawes, and he thrives. And for me, I love shows, and I love the guys so much. I love that seeing everyone at the airport that for you know that first hour or so, whatever, and all the first night on the bus, like so much of that means so much to me, and it's so special. But with the kid now, I'm definitely like day one. I'm like, how many more days? Um, <laughs> and and so that part is like, I wonder if like, I don't know if that part's in my bones the way I might've thought it was. Um, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't know if I think this about anybody. I mean, I think like it's nature and nurture. I think I was, I was, I was uh, b- born into a house that, that where my dad had a certain understanding of it. Our, the music in our family goes back a long time. Um, my grandfather, like way, be- then way, generations way beyond that. Uh and, but then um, uh, I, I feel like I could have done other stuff. I think I like I, look, I, you know, reading like journalism or something. I'm like, oh, I think I actually would have been if I if I wasn't such a butthead at 18, I really would have had a good time in college. And like, I think I could have learned to do a lot of different things. But I'm 36 now and I just don't know how to do anything else. So it's 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 weird when that when that when you feel at a certain age where it's like, well, I can't start from zero. So this is me. <laughs> and maybe that's not true, but that's how it feels. And there was a time when music was journalism. I mean, I'm named after a song, the wreck of the old 97 that chronicled an actual train wreck. And that's how people learned about the train wreck. And it was basically yeah. like a, 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 an internet story that would pop up now and you train kills, you know, dozens in right. Virginia. What? Right, yeah. right, right. Totally. Totally. Yeah, that's fascinating how how it used to work that way. Um, it seems though like you have done a lot of years of touring before the kid, and it's um, and it seems like you've been able to uh, sow a lot of oats and get out there in the world. And you definitely seem like you're a very calm, cool guy, confident, <laughs> and all this stuff. But it, inevitably, the people that I talk to have something. Um, in them, like the voices in their head that are negative voices. The um, I talk to a lot of people, you know, that deal with imposter syndrome. Roseanne Cash talked about success guilt, where other people didn't have the success she had and she felt guilty. Like, why mm-hmm. me? Um, I just wonder about when you come upon those kind of internally generated obstacles, how do you deal with that? What, what, what secrets have you figured out to get past those things? Man, I could probably use a few more secrets as to how to get past them. Um, it's it's. I think that I've I've tried to learn to like welcome that voice and see that voice as another side of what keeps me motivated. Because I think if I really overcame that voice, I wouldn't need to work so hard, and I want to work hard. So part of me wants, I try when I'm in a better moment, I try to embrace it. I mean, for me, the way that it shows up, it's, it's not imposter syndrome. Not that I think I'm the best, but I just feel like I, okay, I know what I'm doing. I feel confident, I guess. Um, I, but I, what, for me, I always just feel like, a, uh, 
it's it, yeah, the way it shows up is I feel incredibly cheesy. I feel like, um, like oh, like oh, you're a pitchfork reader. You must, if you even are aware of who I am, you must hate me. Um, and I don't. It doesn't. It's so stupid. It's so arbitrary. I make music that I'm proud of, but I also am like, um, I just feel, exceptionally uncool. I guess how it shows up for me, um, which I'm sure is very common, um, and. Yeah. So for me, like, I'll try to be mindful of like the, the people that like, you know, like you were talking about Robin, like people that were heroes that now I've like co-written songs with or, or that are in my corner and believe in me. It's like, okay, this, this jerk on, on the internet thinks I'm a huge uh, failure, but like, you know, Dave Rawlings is my bro and he believes in me. Like this is this, like I have to, that means way more than whoever this guy is. So I, that, I try to be, I try to remember that, like who's in my corner, not in terms of just like famous people. Some of the people that, that, that opinion comes from are, are, are people no one's ever heard of. Um, and, but so, yeah, I try to, I try to lean more on that. I think we all have such extreme negative bias. Um, and I think if, if we, if we also, we also have this need for, um, acceptance, we, we, I think we need people to like us or else we wouldn't do this. Um, and so with, with like, we're, we're, we're deeply sensitive, but we're also putting ourselves out there to really be hacked into pieces. It's a really intense recipe. Um, but uh, yeah, I try to, I try to just be, remember what the, when the negativity bias is showing up. Cause you know how it is. You'll see 20 glowing things. And then one, one person says, this is trash. And you're like, that guy's probably right. And everyone else is probably wrong. Um, even, but that, that, that doesn't last very long. I try not to um, give into too much of that. I also, I've, I have gotten to a point now where I like it when there's, when it's, when it's pissing people off. I think I've, I've made those Dawes songs where um it's an opportunity for the fans to be like, this is exactly what we expect of you. And thank you very much. Great. And it doesn't ruffle any feathers. And therefore the conversation feels over really fast. Whereas like even this new record, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anticipating and hoping that there's going to be some people that are like, you let me down. This is awful. I used to like you guys. Now I hate you guys. Cause I feel like at least that means there's a conversation, but whenever there's those, you know, we all know bands like this. They make the album that feels like the next 10 tracks of the record before. And everyone's like, great. That's what we like you for. That's what we need you for. You delivered moving on. And I feel like that's actually more dangerous. Like how many of these songs do you need? Like wouldn't one record of these songs be enough? Um, yeah, exactly. Totally. You're like, 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 how do I, how do I grow with you? If you're not showing me the next, um, manifestations of like where you you're at as a writer or as a band. It's interesting to me to hear you um, imagine a pitchfork reader or imagine someone that's, that's angry at you or, or yeah. doesn't like you or says thinks that you're cheesy, which believe me, I, all those things are things that I think about too. Um, because really that's completely internally generated that conversation. And, and granted we do hear no. those voices too, for real on the internet primarily, but um like I was on stage the 4th of July in Dallas and it was a big free outdoor show, which means a lot of our fans. And then also just a lot of random people. Right. And I wonder like, sometimes does it get weird for you on a stage where your brain will start giving you um, like doing that where you mm -hmm. make up in your mind, like, Oh, these people probably think 
something negative about me right now do you ever mm-hmm. have to negotiate that kind of oh yeah and, and it's and it's and it's similar to that 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 situation you're describing like festival stages typically yeah when like there, there was one stage we were playing right before alabama shakes and so the people you know they're they're, they're massive so like everyone was really crammed in that front row and like not letting go and they'd clearly been there for hours and they were just going to put up with whatever they had to put up with <laughs> to then like see Alabama shakes in the front row. So we go out there and like, and I, yeah, I started projecting, totally mm. projecting. These people were having, they were, they weren't being rude. No one was, I, I didn't have any hard evidence that they didn't like it, but they would just, someone would look, would whisper something to the person next to them and then look back up at me. Not even, I'm sure they were screaming something next to them because the music was so loud, but I couldn't read their lips or anything. So I'm just like, Oh, they're talking shit. And like, there's no reason to think that they could have been saying, I love this song. Everything on their face could have been either, either route. Um, So it was, it it was totally me projecting, but one thing that I found, and I think like, you know, within the, it's, it's, it has to be within the sort of spectrum of whatever your tastes are, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate and like what's too far. But the more that I can shed that and the more that I can kind of like embody this and not that I dislike our fans, I love our fans, but especially when it's foreign environments like that, when I can embody this feeling of like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I really could give a fuck. And then I start like seeing how goofy I can get And, And goofy is honestly like the best word for it. Like when I could start stomping around like a dummy and just start engaging with other band members and getting in people's faces and, and like really like going for it with like how to perform these songs. I'm, and I can, that helps me, first of all, totally um, forget about the projection of these strangers. And also it, it, it helps me feel more welcomed by the, the them. Like I feel all of a sudden like, Oh, these people are like, willing to uh, accept me. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that whenever we respond to a great artist or, 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 or just a great performance, to the, thing that we're, I, the thing that we're responding to is our impression of like how free they are. Yeah. And, and when it's Mick Jagger, like looking like a chicken, like, and like flapping his wings from side to side of the stage, making crazy faces. Like he looks like he's tr- really trying. Like, I don't, I'm just trying to be, goofy because I don't care and I'm trying to have fun and I'm trying to be free. And everyone looks at him and says, you're the sexiest man in the world or you're, you're, you're the best performer in the world. And, um, and I think that that's always what, like when, when we can tell that a guitar player who's soloing or, or, or a singer is singing, doesn't care about our opinion. That's that feeling is so palpable. Um, And that, and then all of a sudden we're like, man, I want to be more like you as a fan. Um, when I've been in those audiences and seeing those, those musicians, I'm like, oh, I want a piece of what you're projecting right now of, of just true freedom of, of caring about any, what anyone else thinks. So um, when I can get to that place, it's, um, it, it, it really flips that switch almost immediately. And it's funny, the, the, the guy that I learned that from or, 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 or when it really um, felt internalized was reading an interview with um, – Stephen Colbert of all people, like when he was coming up as a comedian, he would say like, I would just get into elevators with like full elevators and make like 
a fart joke or just a bad joke in like really like, and I was terrified before I did it. I, I, I might be misremembering how he talked about it, but basically pushing himself actively and then being able to say to himself, that wasn't that bad. And by doing that over and over and over again, then he, then that made him gain for literally anything um, with his like career of live TV. So like that, that, um, that was a really eye opening part of it all. Well, it's bravery, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wonder too, if we artists in general, not specifically you and me, but if, yeah. if, if we are so used to what we do that we sort of take for granted that to other people, especially people that are predisposed to like what we do, it's kind of magical, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, it's true. Like we put so much into um, each song and each show and each tour and we totally see how the, how the, um, the, 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 the cake gets made so that we we're, we're, we're not experiencing what someone is experiencing when they just come to see us at the venue and like and their minds are blown. And then also they like, when you're a fan, you get to invent your own, um, your own like story, like, like, and as to what that all is. And I do it all the time for the things that I like. I mean, but we, I played this show recently where it's just me and a guitar and the opening band, this guy was so cool. Um, and he's so good, but, um, I'm, I'm not going to say his name in case he doesn't, want me to share this part of the story but um he basically he was just doing his first late night thing and he was like this has been a dream of mine i've always wanted to do this and my other dream is playing red rocks and he was like but you know what that's like and i said well yeah we've opened for people there a lot and he's like well yeah but you've also headlined there i was like no we have not we have we're not big enough to do that he's like no you have and i'm like well, i would definitely know if we have yeah, not headlined red rocks um, but it was fascinating to me because him as a fan, because uh, he, he had started the night by saying he was he was into Dawes and um, him as a fan, he had he had this story of like what Dawes has done. And in his mind, it was a it was a foregone conclusion that we'd headline Red Rocks. And I'm certain there are so many artists that I'm in love with that I tell that same story about like, wow, you just must have been crazy when you sold out the Hollywood Bowl or whatever, whatever yeah. it is that that might not even be remotely true. God, I love that. That's so good. Um, boy, that Fourth of July show when when I was so in my head at the beginning, you know what got me out of it? Nikki Lane got up and did a couple of songs with us, and I was watching her. I don't know if you've seen her perform before. Oh yeah, yeah, she's so good. But I was just standing there looking at her, and it's you know songs I wrote, and she's just she looks so whatever it was so much fun that for a second i was like an audience member and then i remembered like okay that's what i'm doing too we're all doing this it's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, don't go stress out yeah uh, so i wonder especially this this always becomes a little juicier when you have a kid of your own and you start thinking about um what kind of advice you're going to share down the road uh if you were to run into a 21 year old version of taylor working in today's world what advice might you give yourself working in today's world. God, that's hard. I, I feel like there's that scene in, in the first Indiana Jones where he gets out of that, um, the, the, that, I forget, that first temple um, and his hat's behind him and he has to grab his hat in the last minute before it finally shuts. I sort of feel like that's been my musical career of just like barely getting into like, and by career, I mean, 
not having to have another job. Yeah. Um, I don't mean like, you know, mansions and millions and private planes. Cause that's, that is not what we're dealing with, but, um, but just being able to just do this, I, I look now and I think like, if I was 21, I would have to get, I would have to like invest in like learning how to be really good at TikTok and, and learning how to be really good at like having something that's trendable within the first 15 seconds. Like what makes a good hashtag? Like things that I don't, I've never thought. And, and any time that I do try, it just makes me feel old and, and, and tired, like, I, or, or just, or desperate. Um, I've, you know, I've we've done the TikTok thing and try to do it on our terms. Like here's a whole song that I wrote that I don't know if it's ever going to be on a record. And that feels like relatively nice content. Like, if, you know, it's not some song you've heard a thousand times. Like, um, but it's still just like, this is not my lane and I'll, I still want to do it. Cause I do, I do have, I do have fun sharing new stuff or, or little, little thoughts here and there, but it feels like such a big part of, um, the recipe right now. And I hope that that doesn't last. I mean, I wouldn't waste, if I did get a chance to talk to 21 year old Taylor, I wouldn't want to waste too much time talking about that part of it. Um, I think the main thing I would like to impart is, is just, um, do what you do everything on your own terms everything that we've ever done that was for us and was not listening to the powers that be despite all their good intentions and despite all their support we've been rewarded for and every time we met them halfway or we compromised at all the first people that called bullshit were fans you know at least that's my impression of it um, I don't, I'm proud of every record we've made. I'm proud of like, I think that we've been very lucky that, that we're, we, we get to look back and love everything that we've done and not feel like, oh man, that's the album with this label or this producer, or this, this, that, that makes us cringe when we think about it. We don't have that. And I feel very lucky for that. But I think, um, yeah, I, I think like, like we could, we could have, it could have even been better. Like it could have, we could have been more mindful of it. Um, I think, you know, I think like we grew up, my brother and I, um, who's the drummer in Dawes, we, we grew up going to our dad's like local LA shows with all these like, you know, the baked potato and all these cool little clubs with all these really good, great musicians. And so while everyone was growing up on Pro Tools, we were growing up on nightclub stages and like having to re read people's fingers and follow chords based on your ear. And, and, and so I think that's what kind of like, had us fall into this world of, you know, Bob Dylan and, and, and music where, like where you're really having to like think on your feet. Uh, it wasn't a bunch of effects and, and curating and part writing and then playing the same part over and over again. Um, but it's, it, it, it put us in this world that it was, uh, I was always, I guess I was always a little embarrassed by it. I was always a little embarrassed that I wasn't a studio geek and that I was, that I really felt more comfortable on stage. And if I could go back and really lean into being more proud of that, um, cause I actually do think that's what gave us more of an identity, like, um, than a lot of other things that were going on. Um, I would, I would have been more proud and less like, Oh man, like, yeah, I know how to do this, but I'm not, I can't be in Bonnie Vera and do cool studio tricks. But it's at the end of the day, it's like, that's actually pretty cool that I love Bonnie Vera, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think what we what we created was something to, that we could have been even more proud of.
It's funny that you bring that up. It's like when you're an outlier, you think that is uh, to your detriment, right? Like, because yeah. everybody else is doing this. They must know something I don't know. But really, like, you're the one that's the individual in that scenario. Right. Yeah, totally. And it's and it's and it never fails to not make you feel uncomfortable. Like I got invited to like <laughs> like this this big pop artist. But um, this is the only time this has happened. So I don't want people to think that this is a common thing for me. But but this big pop artist was a fan of Dawes. And he's like, I'm having this songwriter retreat um, in Colorado and I'm inviting a bunch of songwriters and please come. And so I was like, OK, that sounds awesome. And, and this is a certain world. This is I wouldn't say that this is all songwriting. Um, it definitely is not. But but as I when I got there first day, morning of the first day, I come downstairs with a notepad and a guitar, acoustic guitar, and everyone had headphones on and a laptop in their lap. And they all looked at me coming downstairs like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and, and they were all making these amazing beats and they all had these tiny MIDI keyboards and they were coming up with really cool sounds and stuff. And, <laughs> and I was just sort of like over their shoulders, like, wow, like I'm a moron. I don't know how to do any of this. And, and then, you know, when I started trying to write tunes on my guitar and, and they were all like, whoa, who does that? Like <laughs> they all were, but I couldn't live in that. I definitely just felt like, oh man, I'm the old guy again. And I don't know what they know. But it's but it's total bullshit. Is that called top line? What you and I do in those scenarios where the, the people that have to write the words <laughs> yeah. to go on their track. Yeah, totally. Because I was like, I was like, how's this? And I'd sing like a chorus with the chords and lyric and they'd be like, whoa, like, let me like, let me sit with that for an hour. And then, then they would cook it up in their way and it would be awesome. But but uh, I, to me, it's like, well, wow, that's uh, now you're just producing. But but I think in that world, it's, that's still very much songwriting, which Right on. I I love the point you made about like the powers that be and having to meet them halfway and how they they seem to always have these ideas about how our art should work or sound or whatever. Yeah. And um, and how inevitably the audience sniffs that out. That's the thing that comes up a lot. I've done like 120 of these wheels off conversations. And if there's one theme that runs through all of them, it's that idea that calculation is the death of art. Yeah. And, and it's weird because I don't know if that's always been the case. Like, like I got way into, um, I think a lot of people are probably right now, but I got into that cocaine and rhinestones podcast. Sorry to <laughs> talk about another podcast here, but, but he talked about old songwriting songwriters and where there, where there's publishing guys who have the rights to this one Tom T hall song. We got to find the right person to sing it. And they do kind of cook up this recipe all love to current label guys and A&R people, but I haven't heard that story in a long time where someone was sitting on this, like this million dollar like song and they just needed to find the right equation. Like to me, I feel like A&R and running a label is like, go find people that you don't have to do any of that with. Like, cause when, when right now the things that are awarded are, people that come up doing whatever the hell they want. And then, and then everyone just tries to jump on board that ship as fast as they can. Like little, you know, new generation, new generations of Neil Young's people that just like truly do it however the hell they want. And, um, and their individuality, their singularity, their fingerprint is so um, formidable that we, uh, all, all, we, all we can, all we can do is like marvel at it. And I think that that's, and obviously a lot of those examples, but people will just fall on their faces and no one will make money and they'll move on to the next thing and whatever. That's how this goes. 
but it, I just feel like that's your only chance because there's so many artists like you hear these, you hear their first album or you hear their first few songs and you're like, you are a freak. You're amazing. And then you hear the label single. And I don't mean to be trashing labels. I, I, I don't think it's the label's fault. I think it's the whole operation. I think it's, I think it's like the social media. I think it's, it's, it's lessons ingrained in us from previous generations. It's not just labels. They're not, they, they, I think they probably would agree with what I'm saying. Um, but it's this feeling of like, how do you just get out of like, like, how do we make sure that they don't start becoming homogenized? Cause I think that you're right. I think that, that, the the homogenization is like, do whatever you can to avoid that. And then cross your fingers that what you have is still something that will connect to a large number of people. But once you start homogenizing it and start trying to get it a little bit closer to what's the in sound, you're, you're, you're making sure that you're not going to have a chance. Um, and if you do, it's going to be short-lived, like while this someone else's sound is trending. And I love that. Well, it's what you were saying about, you know, growing up and playing in nightclubs and that sort of separating you. Whatever you have that makes you distinct, you could have all the edges uh, shaved off by a producer or a label or whatever, or you could lean into it because maybe that's the thing that drew people to you to begin with. Yeah. And I, I would argue, I, I would I would hope that that's, that's always the case, that that is exactly why people are into you. It's like, because you sound like your own thing. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then once, you know, once every 10 years or so, we have like the strokes where everyone's like, this sounds like its own thing yeah. and and no one is messing with it. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And um, how do we do that more? I love it. Taylor, this has been so great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on the new record. And uh, I hope we wind up on a festival bill somewhere. Yeah. Me too, man. Yeah. So super cool. Right on. Appreciate this. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.